Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. We're taking one more week off from our series of Mark, just kind of helping to go through a little bit on spiritual rhythms here. And so this week, we're going to be looking at two texts. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, which is part of Jesus' temptation narrative. And then also Luke chapter 7, verses 33 to 34, which is from later in his ministry. But you'll see why I've picked these two texts, hopefully in a couple of moments. So you can follow along on the screen or in the booklet, even better, in your Bible. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, and then Luke chapter 7, verses 33 and 34. Hear now the word of your Lord, your Savior, your King. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then in Luke chapter seven, Jesus is speaking and he says, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine and you say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Um, I've been into exercise most of my life, but years ago when I was around 40, I started really training and trying to run distance um, and really trying to prepare and, and get better at it. But I didn't really understand very much about how to train. Even though I had run for many, many years, I didn't understand what went into training more. And my kids, who were all running cross-country, began to ask me questions about what I did. And I, they'd say, what did you do this morning, Dad? And I said, I ran five miles. And I said, you know, how, how hard did you run? As fast as I could go. What do you plan to do tomorrow? Run five miles. How fast do you plan to run? I plan to run as fast as I can possibly go. And they said, do you ever change up? And I said, no, I pretty much go out and I do the same thing every day. And they said, herein lies your problem. You, you have to actually do different kinds of runs. You have to do long runs. You have to do short runs. You have to do fast runs. You have to do slower runs. You've got to go do track workouts and sprints. And what had happened was, from a lack of variety, I quickly stagnated and I just stopped making any progress. I basically got to where I was and there I stayed. And that's a principle which is true not only in running. I had already known that with weightlifting. Uh, And it's a principle that is true in our spiritual life as well. We actually have to have a spiritual training plan that includes a variety, and it includes times of both fasting and feasting. And if we have such variety, that'll help us to grow strong spiritually and to experience the flourishing life that God has for us. But if we don't, we'll find ourselves tending to stagnate spiritually and in every other area of our life. So that's what I want to talk about today is this rhythm of 
fasting and feasting, fasting from to feast on. So let's dig in. I want to talk a little bit first about what fasting and feasting means, just so that we understand what these are. And I'm reminded that if you know, there have been times where I've practiced a lot of fasting in my life, but a lot of Americans don't really understand what we even mean by these terms because this is not a common practice. So I want to talk just a little bit about what it means. When we say fasting, what is it that I'm talking about? And I'm putting a definition up here. This is just my definition. But fasting is the voluntary act of abstaining from food, or it can be an activity. We'll talk about that in a minute. For a period of time, for a spiritual purpose. So you may have fasted before if you've had a medical procedure where they tell you you can't eat for 12 hours. We're talking about something distinct from that. We're talking about a voluntary act of abstaining from food or again an activity for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. If you look in the Bible, you can see that fasting relative to food, sometimes it's only certain foods. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel cut out certain foods from his diet for a period of time. So it wasn't even a total fast. He was eating all of his meals, but he restricted certain foods from his diet. Sometimes you can see where there is uh, just solid food allowed, but in fact, all types of liquid are allowed. So you can say, I'm not going to eat any solid food, but I'm allowed to drink coffee. I'm allowed to drink juice. If you go back in the Middle Ages, uh, European monks actually created certain types of beer. There's a type of beer known as a double bock that was made specifically by monks for the time of Lent for fasting. That was when they created it. That's what it was created for. It was a period of time. So during that time, they did not eat food, but they drank beverages, including even this special beer known as double bock. Um, sometimes we see fasting in the scripture where uh, only water is allowed. For example, in the text we're looking at today, Jesus is restricting all intake of food, but he is not restricting intake of water. Now, how do we know that? Notice it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. What does it not say he was? Thirsty, because he's been drinking water, okay? He's out in the wilderness, and out in the wilderness, he didn't have beer or wine, or he, he just had some water out there. It's a rather, you know, remote place. And so, uh, Jesus is fasting from food, but not from water. And there are a few times where we see recorded where there is for very short periods of time fasting from everything. No food, no liquid whatsoever, not even water. But I stress that is only for short periods of time that that is done. Secondly, not only are there various types of fast as to what I'm restricting myself from food-wise, but it can be done for various lengths of time. We see here in the text, how long did Jesus fast for? 40 days and nights. That is a very long fast, okay? Nonstop for 40 days and nights. But fasting is usually done for much shorter periods of time, say one to three days or even just one or two meals. There's no hard and fast regulation. It's just a practice of saying, I agree and I'm going to abstain from food for this period of time, perhaps for just one or two meals. Very often, uh, the, the Pharisees had done this and it was done actually in the early history of the church. People would oftentimes fast until like 3 p.m. 
Uh, early in our Christian life, when Linda and I were in Okinawa, we had a practice where we would fast one full day, 24 hours, and then later in the week, we would fast until 3 p.m. on that day. Uh, just a, a practice that we did. So these are all the varieties of fast that you can do, but it is important to understand as I say this, that to do something like Jesus did, a 40-day fast is not for beginners. Okay, that's like the, the, the same thing of saying, I've never ran before, I'm gonna go run an ultra marathon. You're going to hurt yourself. That's what you're going to do, okay? Jesus is an experienced faster, obviously, because to do a 40-day fast is something that one has to be trained in. And if we are not practiced at fasting, and I'm gonna be encouraging us today to fast, then it's best to start with, I'm just gonna fast for one meal. Maybe I grow and then I do a couple of meals. Try and work up to a day or something. Now, the, the second part of fasting, as I include in the definition, is fasting can also refer to abstaining from certain activities for a period of time. In other words, to fast is to restrict myself, to say I'm gonna say no to something. It's usually food, but it can include activities, that I, things that I would normally do, I am not going to engage in and do. I mentioned a number of these last week, you know, common things. One thing I'm going to be doing in the coming weeks is fasting from social media. I'm actually going to fast from most uh, TV. Netflix only allow myself, we're going to, Linda and I are going to re-watch some of the seasons of The Chosen rather than watching anything else uh, during that time. But it's saying I'm going to restrict myself from activities and we'll see that it's for the purpose of giving myself more time to do something else. But that's what fasting is. Now the other part of this is feasting. This is something our culture is much more familiar with. We're more familiar with feasting than we are with fasting. But just to be clear, what do I mean by feasting? Feasting is when we take special pleasure and delight in a meal or activity, often with an extra abundance of the food or the activity. What is probably our big feast day in our culture? Yeah, Thanksgiving is a huge one for us, right? Where everybody gathers around and we eat, right? And all of this food, it's, it's a huge feast day. But actually we do it with almost every holiday, don't we? Fourth of July, what do people do? We get around and we have, you know, we barbecue in the backyard. If you think of our holidays, many of them include feasting. Um, and this is actually, Israel had this. God told them there are <clears throat> these certain appointed feasts or festivals where you come together and you celebrate and do this each year. Historically, in America, one of the things we also had was actually kind of a mini feast each Sunday. Earlier in our culture, you know, during the week, people would have what they referred to as breakfast, lunch, and then either dinner or supper, depending on where you, where you were called. But on Sunday, people would gather together and they would eat a big Sunday dinner that was kind of a little bit later in the day, but it was a big feast. It was a big celebration. All of that is the idea of feasting, where I'm setting aside a little bit more time, again, usually a little bit more food, but we're really consciously working to enjoy this. And like fasting, feasting can be done for various lengths of time. Sometimes it's a single meal. That's what a Sunday dinner was. Sometimes it's an entire day-long thing or even a few days originally the way the church did it, we've all heard of the, you know, the song, The 12 Days of Christmas, right? 
you know, and you get all these gifts. Originally what happened was Advent was a time of fasting and the feasting started on Christmas Day and for 12 days you feasted up until what was known as Epiphany. That was the way that it was done. We unfortunately gorge ourselves all the way up to Christmas and then we are like overwhelmed, right? At that point, and I can't celebrate anymore. But that was kind of the rhythm originally was you would fast up to Christmas and then you would have 12 days of feasting. Sometimes, you know, a feast can last, uh, you know, for a long time and it enjoys an abundance. Again, that there's an idea there of doing it. And we are taking an abundance of time in certain activities. This can be spiritual things like an abundance of time in the Word of God or prayer or worship, setting aside extra time where we come together for a period of time for more fellowship. Um, and actually, if you even think about it, what is a vacation? It's meant to be a feast of Sabbath, a feast of rest. Rather than just having one day a week off, I'm gonna take a whole period of time and I'm supposed to rest. Unfortunately, is that how we usually do our vacations now? No, I come back from vacation and I need Sabbath after vacation, right? So this is kind of the idea of what feasting and fasting are. Uh, and I, what I wanna help us to do now with that in place is I want us to see this was how Jesus lived his life. This is not how we tend to live our lives, but Jesus did, and there's great value in doing this. So notice, Jesus' life is built on a pattern of fasting and feasting. Now, why do I say that? Notice in Matthew 4, 2, as part of our text, we're told that Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. This is a long period. It is, it is the limit of what a human body can really endure. And what that tells me is, is this Jesus' first fast out of the box? No. I mean, the scripture not tell us, but as a Jew, he had practiced fasting. Many Jews regularly fasted, and Jesus clearly had, or else he wouldn't be out doing 40 days and 40 nights. Like I said, you know, if it says Jesus ran the ultra marathon and won the race, then I can tell you it's not his first race. Okay, he's clearly done a lot of this. And the same thing is true here. Jesus has fasted many times. So we read this particular time, but in the background is a pattern of fasting. And we see the same thing actually. There is a pattern in Jesus's life and ministry where he regularly withdraws from activity. He withdraws from ministry to people to be alone with God. In Luke chapter five, Luke actually records this. You know, news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And Mark, it tells us in the same episode, they're, they're pressing around him. He can't hardly get away. But Luke tells us Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, the crowds are why Jesus came. This is not a distraction. It's not sinful. It's not a bad thing. He has come to minister to the people. He has come to work and to bring salvation to them. But even though it is his task and what he's come to do, notice Luke tells us that he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark just records he went out all night and prayed and the disciples come and interrupt him. But Luke is letting us know, hey, this is not a one-time event. This is Jesus's regular pattern. 
He's there. He's ministering. He's doing the very work that the Father has given him to do, but periodically he has to to fast, to stop, to pull back from that, to be alone with the Father and does this. In essence, going back to what we talked about last week, he's not being Martha. On a regular basis, he's going about and doing all of his labors, all the things that God has given. The problem with Martha, remember, was not what she was doing. It was rather that when she should have stopped and went to be with Jesus and spent time with Jesus, she didn't stop. Okay, Jesus is saying, look, Martha, I know how to do this. The crowds come in, I minister, I minister, I do the things the Father has given me, but I also know when I need to stop and I need to withdraw. And notice, Jesus does this. It's not just, hey, I'm kind of getting away from the crowds a little bit. Why does he get away from the crowds? To pray, to be alone with the Father. But what's interesting, so we see this pattern of Jesus doing this, but I want you to notice that even though Jesus begins his ministry with 40 days of fasting, he regularly feasts with people. In fact, that is more what he's known for. This is why that other text in Luke chapter 7, where you know Jesus points out and says, hey, when John the Baptist came, He's a man who lived in the wilderness. He's a man who, you remember, ate locusts and wild honey. He's a guy who abstained constantly. And you know John as being the one who who fasts constantly. And you said he had a demon. Well, I come in, and do they think of Jesus as being a faster or a feaster? They think of him as being a feaster. Notice what their complaint is. I came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So it's not, Jesus is not there sitting and eating just a little bit. How much do they think about him eating? This guy's a glutton. How much do they think about him drinking? This guy is a drunkard. This guy is a perpetual party that is going on. Okay, understand that. That is going on here. The the critics don't like what Jesus is doing. Jesus enjoys food and fellowship. He even does it with tax collectors and sinners. He is constantly in a party with them. That is part of his pattern of life. So we know he fasts, he does it regularly, but we see he also feast. And so he's not a desert monk who withdraws from people and never goes back to them. He's normally with the people. He's normally celebrating with them, but periodically I pull back. Periodically I fast, I get alone, and I do this. Now, that's Jesus's pattern. There's periods of feasting and periods of fasting. But I want us to see not only are there those periods, when Jesus is fasting, he's doing it for the purpose of feasting on something else. So the two are related in that we should spend periods of time fasting followed by periods of time feasting. But we also, even when we are fasting, a spiritual rhythm is we are fasting from one thing to feast on another. So notice in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is out and he's been fasting from physical bread for 40 days. And we are told, you know, he is hungry afterwards, which is natural. And so Satan comes up to hit him at a point of need and saying, okay, so look, Jesus, you hear that rumbling going on in your stomach there? You, you feeling that need? 
yet you say you're the son of God. How can you say you're the son of God? If you really are the son of God, why don't you command these stones to become bread and feed yourself? But notice Jesus's interesting answer. It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan is focused in and says, hey, you've been fasting from bread. You need bread. Why don't you take your power? If you think you're the son of God, then you need to prove it by turning stones into bread. But Jesus says, you're missing it here. See, I've been fasting from bread, but I've been feasting on the word of God. And I know that I don't live just by bread alone. I live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, what's interesting is this uh, statement of Jesus is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Israel in the wilderness was out, and how was Israel fed in the wilderness? By manna every day. They were given manna. So Jesus is in the wilderness. He's been going without food. Israel was actually fed every day in the wilderness. Unfortunately, Israel failed in the temptations in the wilderness. Jesus actually succeeds. He's kind of reenacting what Israel had done. But notice the quote that he gives is from Deuteronomy 8.3, and here's why God had done the manna. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. You're, you're, you were fasting because you're out in the wilderness. There's nothing around to eat, but then you, you are fed. You are feasting on manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. And he did this, why? to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Israel is out every day. There is no way for all of them to eat. How are they going to be fed? God is going to speak and provide manna for them. That's how they live. And Moses tells them, this is why God did it. You were being humbled which in Hebrew, the, the, the concept of being humbled is often related to fasting. On the Day of Atonement, you humbled yourself, you afflicted yourself, which meant you fasted. And he says, look, every day you experienced that you were humbled. You had no way to get food unless God spoke and provided food. And God did this to teach you this lesson. When you are hungry, Israel, remember you don't live by bread alone. Every time your stomach rumbles, it's a reminder that as much as you may need physical bread, you have a far deeper need, which is the word of God. Israel failed at that test. Think in the wilderness wanderings, how often were they grumbling and complaining about food? I mean, it is constant. If you want to even go further back, somebody remind me, what did the first temptation in the garden revolve around? Food. Remember, this is a constant thing for us in our human experience is food is very often seen as a temptation. But interestingly, when we get to the end of history and Christ returns, what is the celebration called? The wedding yeah, supper or feast of the lamb. So food is part of the temptation, is part of it, but it's also part of the consummation and the celebration. And Jesus is telling us here that, look, this is what was meant to happen. The Israelites' hunger in the wilderness was supposed to cause them to focus more on the word of the Father. And Jesus says, that's exactly what I've done, so Satan the ploy doesn't work with me. 
And the same thing is true for you and I. As the Israelites' hunger in the wilderness reminded them of their deeper need for God's word, so when we fast, every time my stomach rumbles, it's meant to say, reminder, what you really need is the word of God. What you really need is God's powerful and presence and focus on it. And notice, Jesus does the same thing even when he's fasting from the activities. Again, if we go back to Luke 5, you remember all the demands are on him, the crowds around him, and we told that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to do what? To pray. Not just, I'm sick of the crowds. I just got to get some peace and quiet. That's, that's not what it says he's doing, okay? I can skip food, but if I don't feast on the word of God, I haven't really done a real fast. All I've done is made myself hungry. I can withdraw from activity, but if all I do is click on and watch some mindless comedy on Netflix, I have not really fasted and feasted. All I've done is stopped doing a particular activity. And so Jesus does this. He, he fasts from the crowd in ministry to feast on prayer and communion with the Father. So notice in Jesus we see both a regular rhythm of times of fasting and also times of feasting, but also the rhythm of when I'm fasting from something, I'm doing it for the purpose at the same time to be feasting on something else. And, you know, as we've been seeing in Mark's gospel, we're disciples or we're apprentices, which means we are learning from Jesus' teaching, but it also means we're learning from his rhythms, from his patterns, from his way of life. And so if we're going to be disciples, we have to learn from this, this pattern of his life and practices, which means we have to follow a practice of fasting and feasting, including both fasting from food to feast upon God's word and presence, and fasting from regular responsibilities and activities to give increased time to feasting on God's presence. So what we're going to do now is we're going to dive in and ask ourselves a few questions in applying the word, because it's a fairly simple point this morning, but it's one that is easily forgotten. And this is this idea of why it is so important that we learn to practice these rhythms in our life. So when we do this, the first question is, do I see the importance of rhythms in my spiritual life? And this is a very important question for us because rhythms are built into the fabric of creation. But unfortunately, in our modern world, via technology, with all the wonderful things it can do, it's really hiding the patterns that are there. There's, there's evening and there's morning in creation that God makes, but again, we have light bulbs, so I can make it where it's not even morning. I now can jump on my phone and at 3 a.m. I can go out and go shopping, right? Or even in person, I can get in my car and drive places and I can do it. So that rhythm has been masked. For most of human history, there's a rhythm that there are, you know, springtime and summer and into fall where I can eat fresh food. And then in winter, if I want fresh strawberries, what do I do? You wait until they come back in. Except for now, what do I do? I go to the grocery store and we've shipped them in from somewhere in South America where it's still summer. So 
again, I'm not saying, it's not that that is necessarily sinful, but what it has the tendency to do is we lose contact with the rhythms that are naturally there. The rhythms that are teaching us this is the kind of person you are made to be. Because whether we've got technology to mask it or not, you can't get away from the way you were made. Nor can I. It is stamped into your DNA and into mine that there are rhythms. That is how we are created to live. Uh, this is why, again, if you want to be an athlete, athletes train via rhythms. When it comes time for the Olympics and they're getting closer and closer to their race, runners start changing how they are training. They go into a period of intensity that if they tried to maintain for too long, they wouldn't peak. They would actually injure themselves. But they train in such a way to get ready for that peak. It is woven into all of creation. And we see that Jesus himself follows this pattern. And so did the church through many, many centuries. If you look in church history, there was, you know, what was known kind of as the church calendar where, again, Christians did this. You would have a period of fasting followed by a period of feasting. They were, they were both there. But we've again tended to lose it. But what I'm trying to encourage us right now to think about in these coming weeks is that there are a lot of benefits to practicing these kind of rhythms. So I'm just going to throw up a couple of them right now. Number one, rhythms like this give me periodic times of extra communion with God in the word and prayer. In other words, if I cut back from certain activities, both preparing and eating food, but also just spending time doing other things, and I'm not talking about sinful things, things that are okay, it gives me extra time to spend time with God. That is more than I would do all the time. I can't, despite whatever we think, we can't spend 24 hours a day communing with God. But what we can do is have a period of time where I more intensely focus on doing that, and that's of great benefit. It, it, it builds my spiritual muscles, as it were. A second thing that rhythms like this do is they give me a chance to break old habits. How many of you have noticed when you get into a habit, it's hard to break? They are difficult to break out of. And they're especially difficult if I'm just doing the same thing that I've always been doing all along, but I'm suddenly gonna somehow try and change my habit pattern. And I'm not even necessarily thinking about sinful habit patterns, maybe just, you know, I've gotten to where I spend too much time watching TV or I'm spending too much time fiddling around working on my car or doing whatever it is that you think I'm spending too much time doing. It's hard to break that habit if I just continue living life exactly like I've been living it. But if I say I'm going to go into a different rhythm here for a period of time, I can suddenly shift and change my habit pattern. A third thing which is related is it gives me a chance to establish a new pattern. In other words, one of the most common problems we have today is I try to stop doing something that I don't want to do anymore, but I don't replace it with something good. It doesn't work that way. You remember Jesus told the parable, you drive a demon out, the demon wanders around, and he comes back, and it hasn't been replaced, and what does the demon say? Oh, look at this place, man. It's been swept clean. They did spring cleaning here. I'm going to bring seven more demons in with me. If you don't replace the old with the new, the old just comes back in. So 
a rhythm gives me a chance to start a new habit. I haven't been really reading the word, but I'm gonna cut back some other things that I'm doing, and this may let me establish a pattern of beginning to read the word. And then the last thing is, even for good things, there's something known as the hedonic treadmill. Now, this is a big word that we're not used to using, but you may have heard of hedonism, which is about pleasure. It comes from a Greek word, and it means pleasure. But have you ever noticed when you do something that is perfectly wonderful, you may, maybe you enjoy a particular food, but the more you eat it consistently, what happens over time? The less you enjoy it. This is, for one reason, this is what happens with drugs, right? A person takes drugs, and just a small amount gives them a real high. And the longer they go, how much do they have to take to get the same high? More and more and more and more until it gets to a point where it won't work anymore, okay? That's the way we're made. And it's what they now refer to as the hedonic treadmill. So even if there's something I enjoy, like one of the things I'm going to be doing coming up here is, if you know me, one of my favorite foods is ice cream. It does not matter if you are on the South Pole in the dead of Arctic night. It's always time for ice cream, right? I sit under a blanket eating ice cream at home, right? Love ice cream but I'm going to be taking six weeks off from it to do a reset so that I can enjoy it even more. What, what was that? Yes, yes. My wife is very concerned about the mood I'll be in. No, it's, it's a time to do a reset. So even again in something that is perfectly wonderful, it's good to do a periodic break to pick it back up. All of this is the benefit of rhythms, and if I don't practice rhythms, I don't get any of those benefits. I, I, I simply do not get them. I'm not getting that extra time. I'm finding it hard to break old habits. I'm finding it hard to establish new habits. And even the things that I've enjoyed, I'm enjoying less and less of them. We start taking things for granted that are the gift of God to us. So with that in mind, what I want to ask us to do in applying the word, this is really going to bleed out over the next seven weeks. What would you choose to fast from and feast on? What, what fast from, feast on rhythm am I going to embrace over the next seven weeks? Now this is not about, our church is not a, you know, historically a very traditional church. Uh, I've put a uh, a note in the discussion guide there at the very end of it, there's an old teaching where I taught a little bit on kind of the history of where Lent came from and what went on. It's not important because it doesn't even really matter if we call it that or whatever we do, exactly when we do it. It's the idea that rhythms like this help me train spiritually. They help me grow. And if you notice, how often do we see units of 40 show up in the Scripture? I mean, we, we, today we're looking at the text where Jesus fasts, but it's not just that. Moses also fasted for, you know, 40 days. Uh, Noah, you remember, it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. David and Solomon both reign for 40 years. There's this idea that, that the Lord keeps weaving 40 into the story to remind us. And what they've actually discovered is a period of around 40 days really lets a rhythm take effect. If I, can, if I can break an old habit I'm wanting to break for 40 days, I've got a pretty good chance of keeping it down. If you break it for four days, 
You haven't really broken it yet. And to establish a new habit. If I can do it over a period of 40 days, I've got a good chance that this has now become part of who I am. It's being part of worked into my rhythm. So for each of us, let's ask the Holy Spirit, what am I going to fast from during this period? I want to encourage everyone in the church, even if you haven't done it. Now, if you've got a medical issue and you can't, understand, do not do it. You know, if you need to talk to your doctor or whatever. But if possible, I want to encourage you every week over the next seven weeks, say, what is one day I can fast at least part of that day? That I'm going to take some time and I'm going to fast a meal, two meals, perhaps even the whole day. Along with it, like I said, I'm going to be doing that. But maybe even, Lord, I'm going to cut out one specific food thing. For me, ice cream. And, and broccoli doesn't count. Okay, you got, <laughs> it can't be, yes, Lord, I'm going I'm to give up all the healthy stuff. No, I mean, m- maybe ask the Lord to do that. And again, none of this is about, oh, I'm earning God's favor. That's, that has nothing to do with the point. The point is, again, I'm trying to fast from some things because I'm trying to get in a new rhythm. It's a spiritual discipline, and it's helping me to do a reset. Remember, God gave Israel Sabbath, and every Sabbath was, was a mini reset. That's what it was. We're looking for a little bit extended period of time to say, Lord, I want you to do a reset. There are things in my life that I'm wanting to see you work differently. I want your Holy Spirit to, to work in my life. This is a chance to do that. So what are some things that I will, I will fast from? That includes even an activity, okay? Again, Nothing wrong. Linda and I don't sit around watching TV that we're embarrassed to say we watch or anything like that. But we're just going to say we're going we're to establish a little bit of a different rhythm in the evenings. We're going to just change something we've been doing to give us more time to do other things. Uh, what are those things that you're doing? And then corresponding, what's the feast? Because it's fast from, feast on. It could be more time in the Word more time in prayer, more time in worship. Maybe it's more time in fellowship. I, you know, I've been wanting to spend time with people, but it seems I'm so busy. But now we're gonna go through a pattern where every week we're gonna invite somebody over or I'm gonna get together with somebody. I'm gonna spend time with the people of God and do this. Maybe again, reading another book. And I encourage you, it's both the, the, the larger pattern, but specifically when I'm fasting from. If you say, This week on Wednesday, I'm going to fast the first meal or two. It's not so I can do more work. It's so that I can take the time that that would have been, and Lord, I'm going to sit before you. I'm going to listen to your word. I'm going to put on some worship music. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. What is it that I'm doing to feast from? It's it's not just for my normal pattern. It's, it's a more intense time where I'm asking the Lord to work and, and speak to me and work. And again, this part, the, the feast on, is not to earn God's favor. I cannot do that. That is given to me freely in Christ. It's, it's helping me stretch my spiritual muscles, okay? I've recently rejoined the gym and, you know, so I haven't lifted weights in a few years, but I've been back in doing that. But over time, you got to start changing it up a little bit or else your muscles just get completely used to it and it's having no effect anymore. 
You got to kind of say, that's what we're asking to do. Lord, I want to feast in such a way that it increases my, my spiritual strength, my robustness, my health. What is it that the Holy Spirit would do in that? And I encourage everyone, feast on weekly worship gathered with the church during this time. Make it a huge priority. Maybe even it's a night where I had to work late or something else went on, and normally I wouldn't, but I'm gonna, Lord, I am gonna gather with your people. I'm going to be there. I'm going to do that so that the Lord can minister to us. So I encourage you, we've got three days until traditionally this period starts on Wednesday. If you don't know what it is, ask the Lord. I started telling us to do this last week. This week, nail down what that is. Lord, when could I fast from food each week, whatever period of time? Is there some specific thing I can fast on that maybe I need to do a little bit of a reset because this is a real gift, but I haven't even been enjoying it recently. And what activity can I fast from and how am I going to feast? How am I going to, to focus more on the word of God? Now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna come to the Lord's table which is the table of our feast. And I'm gonna read uh, in John chapter six. John, interestingly enough, does not include the Last Supper and his gospel. But what scholars have noted is in John six, where Jesus has fed a multitude and then a crowd shows up, he, he gives a, a talk afterwards. He, he's got a dialogue going on and a lot of it seems to reference back to what we think of as communion. And I'm just gonna read a little portion of that in John chapter six, beginning at verse 25. When they had found Jesus on the other side, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has set his seal of approval. And then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Isn't that, that's, that's the only work we can do, <laughs> to believe, to have faith in Christ. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Which is pretty funny since he had just fed a multitude the day before, okay? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you see? They're, they're still wanting just a meal. But Jesus then says, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Brothers and sisters, we can be like that crowd in the wilderness. That they're completely, all they are concerned about is their physical needs. Jesus is telling them, you've got a far greater need. But here's the good news. 
The Father has given you what you need. What you need is me. And I have come down. I am the bread of life. I am here to feed you and to meet all of your needs. If you're a believer, I encourage you this morning, come to this table, and this table is our feast. Not because you're going to eat your fill of bread or drink your fill out of the cup, but because it's a pointer to what we truly eat and drink from, which is the grace of God that is given to us in Jesus Christ. I encourage you to come and to receive and let the Holy Spirit Stir that up inside you. We live in a world that is so focused on the temporal that we forget what our deepest need really is. Let the Spirit minister that to you now. For I receive from the Father what I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're gonna pass out the elements. You can grab the the two cups together as they come by. And as they do, let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us, stir up our hunger for the true bread and cup that we need, and ask the Lord to to be working in this upcoming season to truly feed us, uh, to truly help us see what our greatest need is. Lord, bread is the source of life for our physical bodies nourishing and sustaining us for our years on this earth. But in Jesus Christ, we've been given the true bread of life, which nourishes and sustains us body and soul for this age and the age to come. So Lord, as your people, we take this bread in faith, believing that Jesus alone is our salvation knowing that you are more precious than life itself and looking forward to the day when in our resurrected bodies we will eat with you face to face. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord, you have given wine to gladden the heart of man, refreshing us and filling us with joy as we journey through this life. But in Jesus Christ, we've been given the true cup of life, nourishing and refreshing us body and soul for this age and the age to come. And so, Lord, we take this cup in faith, believing that the blood of Christ cleanses us from every sin, knowing that it has sealed us as your covenant people, which is better than all the joys of this age and allowing us to look forward to the day in our resurrected bodies when we will drink the cup from your very hand. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Let's stand together.
O Lord our God, you are the maker of heaven and earth. All things, whether visible or invisible, including both our body and our soul. Lord, at this table, we have eaten physical bread and drank from a physical cup. But by your spirit, we have partaken of the bread and cup of life, which endures to eternal life. Lord, we thank you for this great gift. And Lord, we pray that as we walk in these coming weeks, fasting from temporal food and pleasures, that you would feed us with eternal revelation and joy by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that like Jesus, this time of fasting would strengthen us so that we are full of the Spirit's presence and power, so that we might push back the power and deeds of darkness and extend your kingdom of righteousness and light. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our example, our Savior, our King. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Now may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you are blessed. Beyond all measure, you are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.